37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome again to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 89. And with me, as always, is Preston. How are you, Presto? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. I got a new uh, tattoo recently. I don't know if you saw that picture or not, but... Uh, yeah. Now, is that is that similar to the one that the missus has? Like, you guys have matching tattoos now, or... We have we have matching tattoos because we're adorable. Oh, <laughs> totes adore. <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, our friend uh, Tiffany is working on her apprenticeship for uh, tattooing. And so, yeah, she did a little uh, Bigfoot tattoo on Shayla's ankle, and then I got a matching one. But we uh, we added a UFO to mine, because why wouldn't we? Hell yeah, you can't go wrong with a little UFO action in there. <laughs> right? I mean, hell, if, if I'm if I'm already knee-deep in this paranormal stuff, I might as well be branded by it. So, And guys, um, again, Steven's still out. He's working on things slowly but surely for their, uh, their new podcast for him and Brady. So with us on this episode, returning is our favorite punching bag of the show, Corey. Hi. <laughs> Corey hasn't been with us since like what, like episode fourteen? Because I, when I was doing the back catalog on YouTube, um, I posted that really funny picture of Corey as the uh, thumbnail, post. <laughs> as the cover. Yeah, I, I mean, it had to have been older than that. It was like, yeah, it was, I, I want to just tell you, Corey, like August of two thousand sixteen. I don't think that's right because I did an episode after I'm speak with you, unless you never posted it. <laughs> oh well, shit <laughs> no I, I posted it but yeah I was thinking you hadn't been on the show since uh, Water Water Everywhere Not A Drop To Drink when we talked about Alisa Lamb no yeah. no it was about a year ago uh, okay you're probably it, right we talked about the oh I don't even remember the oh the Denver airport were you on the Denver airport with us Corey no no we talked about some mountain uh, Dyatlov Expo. Pass yep that's the one you're right. right. Episode 46 you were on, uh, December of 17. So I guess it hadn't been that long after all. Still about a year, year and a half. Yeah. yeah that's still time. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, three-time three, three time returning champion. Hell yeah. Well, I'm glad you're back, man. And we were kind of uh, tossing it around that we're going to try to have you on more often now. Um, with Steven uh, kind of stepping away a little bit now and then for uh, his and Brady's podcast that's coming up, um, he may only be on every other episode or once in a while, so we'll try to balance that backseat action with uh, hopefully you, uh, Corey. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I've been wanting to do something a little bit more regular, um, you know, podcast-related. I, I don't know what I'll bring to the show, but I hope to bring a little bit of something. So. And that's all we ask. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, now, is there any scuttlebutt about uh, pixelated radio still resurrecting? So, for those that don't know, we did try to do an episode, and we did kind of a test episode back in probably mid-December, um, and it never pu- published because it got wiped in everybody's recording. Nobody saved. So, oh no! Yeah, we did about an hour and a half long show, and nothing saved so uh oh heartache and then and then just life got in the way uh i'm in school right now and just time uh even doing this is i was doing homework till about five minutes before we started recording so <laughs> right um so yeah uh i don't know 
at the moment if that's going to happen. Maybe I'll try and pick it up when the summer starts again. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah, man. Well, you've always got room in the backseat of the old Cadillac if you want to jump in. So, Well, um, Preston, why don't you jump in? You had some news uh, yeah. that you wanted to share. So. so I came across this story on Facebook. It popped up as a recent news article. And the title of the article was, Texas Butthole Tickling Bandit <laughs> Finally Caught. <laughs> uh, butts Unclenched Through the State. <laughs> That's right. The Texas Butthole Tickling Bandit was caught, or simply the Butthole Bandit. And then I started to read further on in the article, and he was caught January 5th, but not of this year. January 5th of 2015, so somehow we missed this wonderful article. The unnamed man who would break into the homes of single men in the dead of night, and well, you'll be able to guess the rest. Not only did he steal, but he tickled their butthole. So <laughs> police in Dallas thought that this was like a homeless man. So they like arrested a bunch of people and then they ended up letting him go. And then they finally found the dude and he had like, like, I don't know, like $4,000 worth of designer clothes on when they caught him. So they're like, yeah, um, not a bum. And uh, <laughs> one of the guys that uh, was a victim of the home, uh, Richard Nay, say, Finally, I can sleep on my back every day. Uh, oh, no. I slept on my back every day for three solid months, and finally I can sleep on my stomach again. I feel free. Uh, <laughs> the booty warrior, a.k.a. Fleece Johnson, was sentenced up to 10 years in jail. Yeah. But that's not it, because on that article it said, you know, that's not the weirdest story, because there was a man who was also arrested for uh, hoarding uh, 30 cow eyeballs up his ass in uh, Montana. So uh, police in Montana were making a routine traffic stock on a uh, suspected DUI. They pull the guy out of the car, and they start noticing these eyeballs falling down his trousers, like out his pants legs. So (laughs) 40-year-old Rob Talbot, um, they, uh, questioned him cause they're like, dude, did you just murder a bunch of people? He had worked for Johnson's meatpacking plant. And according to their policy, they couldn't take home leftover meat. And he really liked cow eyeball soup because it helped with his erectile dysfunction. Um, so what better way to smuggle them out of the plant than up your ass? So <laughs> yeah, 30 cow eyeballs up his ass. Now, like, Literally up his ass or like just in his pants? Well, I mean, he had some up his ass. I mean, the, and the rest of them were like, you know, he was trying to pack them up there like a drug addict packing heroin. But, uh, you know, they were falling out. And uh, he said he'd been doing it for uh, years. So, you know, you you know, you got to do what you got to do. So have you ever eaten eyeball, Preston? No, I've never eaten eyeball. I've have you? It's a it's a delicacy in some cultures. I've never had it myself. Would you have it if it was up someone's ass? Like if I pulled a <laughs> cow eyeball out of my ass and cooked it in the soup, would you eat it? Uh, no, probably not. Yeah, that's that's what we're gonna go with. <laughs> <laughs> would you eat the eyeball if it was in a soup that was not beforehand in Preston's asshole? I see. I I I'm starting to follow my wife's motto, which is I'll try anything twice. And so, yes, her her motto is never eat an eyeball from somebody's ass. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, a good, that's a good motto. I like that. I would try eyeball. So late news, fake news, you know, we try to do what we can here at Pixelated Paranormal. Well, it's funny because uh, before we were recording, I was talking about how we didn't really have any news, and Shayla found that article too, and she's like, here's one, and I was so excited to share it. <laughs> but the as far as I got, it looked like it was a fake article from, like you said, a couple years ago. But you seem to have found more info than I did because I didn't even have any names or any yeah. sentencing or anything like that. So, Yeah, maybe fake, maybe not fake. I, I, I hope and I pray that the cow eyeballs up the ass. Please let that be <laughs> real news. Don't take that away yeah. from me. <laughs> yeah, if we had to choose, I really want the eyeballs up the butt to be the, uh, the real story there. <laughs> well, Corey, we, uh, we wanted to have you on, and, and you got some info for us because you recently took a uh, spring break trip to New Orleans. Yes, I did. And you uh, took some some tours and whatnot. So tell us a little bit about that, and that'll kind of spin us out to the uh, the second main topic, the co-main topic, we'll call it. Okay, so I wanted to talk about, well, okay, I texted you after I got back, and I said, uh-huh. I want to talk to you about Marie... Uh, geez, what's her last name? Uh, Laveau? Yeah, Marie Laveau. So, Kathy Bates from season three of American Horror Story. Well, okay, so that's yes and no. So, <laughs> that's why I was confused. Because in that show, from my understanding, they merged two characters. Marie Correct. Laveau and Delphine Lalaurie. And so, in my mind... I was like, oh, I'm gonna talk about Marie, Marie Laveau, but I, I, uh, I was actually thinking about Def, Delphine Lalaurie. So, <laughs> <laughs> how could you confuse those two, Corey? <laughs> well, because they were both played by the same character. In a, oh in no, a I, was, I was just kidding. Like, I'm already confused. <laughs> I think it's easy to uh, easy to confuse those two. Um, yeah, and when you have a a very popular TV show that basically merges the two characters into one. Like, um, it's, it's easy to, to bring that association together. In fact, uh, that was like one of the main complaints of everybody we talked to who was doing like tours and stuff is like, yeah, nobody who comes down here knows what they're talking about. They all think oh. the voodoo witch is this person. And, um, you know, it's all, uh, all miscombobulated down there. So cool to see, the differences and uh, right go down there. So uh, as you said, we went on a couple tours. Unfortunately, there wasn't much on the voodoo aspect of it in the tours, which I was kind of hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't really get to, to hear anything about voodoos. The only voodoo related thing we did was we did go to the, the voodoo museum, mm-hmm. which from somebody who is a skeptic and doesn't believe in voodoo, or any of that stuff. This was a complete waste of time and rip off. Um, it's a two bedroom house, and it's just packed full of logs and skulls and uh, you know a couple portraits and news articles of uh, of Marie Laveau. So there is mm-hmm. a lot of stuff on her there, but it's uh, it's it's very weird that they get away with calling this a museum. Because mm-hmm. it, it's a it's like a desk in in a house in like a living room kind of thing, and it's a bunch of people go there from my understanding who follow voodoo culture and like make donations and uh, you know pay tribute to 
uh, forgive me for being uneducated here, uh, the voodoo gods, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was neat to see, like, real voodoo dolls because they right. are made in basically any way you can possibly think of. Um, that was one cool thing that the museum had. It had about 30 different uh, voodoo dolls in a in a little case, and they were anywhere from, you know, rope that had been braided in a way to make a little person to Barbies almost that had been, you know, made into voodoo dolls voodoo dolls oh yeah yeah. so it was that that aspect of it was very cool but uh that that culture is still very alive down there it's it's neat to see it um you know a lot of people still believe it a lot of uh i mean uh, still believe it versus it actually existing is is whatever you believe i guess while you were down there i mean were there a lot of shops like where you could just walk in and buy like functional voodoo dolls or actual you know spells and potions and whatnot or was that all pretty much just touristy like uh knickknack shops well they had a, a bunch of knickknacky voodoo things there was uh there was a house of voodoo shop that was a more legitimate shop i guess and they uh-huh. had a couple things but not a whole lot of voodoo dolls um more like tarot um uh, tarot is that how you say it yeah yeah um so like palm reading and tarot cards and all that kind of stuff. So I think the idea of selling things that'll do bodily harm or curse people is generally frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, in, <laughs> in most societies. So I don't think you see a whole lot of that. I mean, they have the knick-knack voodoo dolls that look like Einstein and Elvis and all that stuff, but <laughs> um, no, no real ones. Corey, did you see any offerings of rum and tobacco to the voodoo gods while you were down there? Oh, yeah. Like that that place, if you were a like five-year-old kid and you wanted to get cigarettes or anything, go to that voodoo museum. <laughs> There's so many cigarettes <laughs> and tobacco just laying in there. Oh, that's awesome. Now, what's that about, uh, Preston? Is that something that's pretty common? Yeah, so if uh, typically if you want to appease the spirit... Um, you would make an offering of like, so you'd pour like a, a shot glass of rum and set it next to like um, burning tobacco. So a lot of times you see like loose leaf cigar and they would burn that tobacco because then the spirit, as you're burning it, it transfers over to the the spirit realm. And so they can drink the rum from the spirit realm and um, get the nicotine and tobacco in the spirit realm. So if you have like an angry voodoo spirit, you would just use rum and tobacco as a way to appease them. So that's a lot like uh, the the angel of death in Mexico, uh, Santa Muerta. Um, I believe there's a lot of shrines over there that a lot of people do the same thing for. They leave offerings of marijuana and like tequila shots and uh, different alcohols for her as well. Yeah. And even in um, their, uh, you know, that traveling museum of the people that did the Hellier documentary. Yeah, the Newkirks, uh, huh? They have a, uh, it's called Billy, I- they named it Billy Idol, uh, but it's <laughs> called the Idol of Nightmares, and it is from Africa. And yeah. uh, they were at one of the conventions where, like, you know, they they bring all their, their goods and they talk about it, and um, they were at, you know, like, you know, some convention and this black guy came up and they were talking about how 
you know, angry or irritated. This spirit seemed all the time because of the activity. And mm-hmm. the guy was like, you know, I don't mean to be ignorant or anything, but because you're white, you don't understand that he wants an offering. And if you were just to burn some tobacco and give him some rum, like he'd be a happy spirit. And so they went home the next day and started making these like, you know, offerings to him. And they're like, oh, sure shit, uh, Billy, calm down. So <laughs> that's funny. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting that those two things kind of coincide with each other in a way. The idea of offering, you know, the alcohol and smokable uh, tobacco and herbs and whatnot. So, yeah, it might be coming from where those uh, those origins of the traditions and stuff, probably similar places. Right. And I mean, everybody likes to party in the. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Who, who doesn't like rum and cigars? I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so how is uh how is everything else as far as like the haunted tours and whatnot? Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do, tour wise or not tour wise, I guess, is uh, go see Nicolas Cage's grave. And <laughs> uh, for those, this is related to later. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, Nicolas Cage is a crazy person and bought a uh, a gravestone in uh, the middle of New Orleans. But it's like a giant pyramid, right? Like a giant white pyramid. That's my understanding. Unfortunately, Nicolas Cage's uh, gravestone is in the same cemetery that Marie Lavoux is in. And about wow. a year ago, they started charging tours where you had to go on the tour in order to get into that particular gra- uh, cemetery. Bastards. So I didn't want to pay 20 bucks to go see uh, Nicolas Cage's gravestone, so I didn't, I didn't go into it, which was... One of the only things I told Amanda that I wanted to do while I was down there, so it was slightly disappointing. Um, but going on the actual tour, uh, the haunted tour, we signed up for one one of the nights we were there, and initially I was very off put uh, because mm-hmm. they're like, you go to this one spot and you stand in front of this building at eight o'clock or whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. and we get there and there's like. 200 people standing in line. And I'm like, this is going to be awful. There's so many people here. We're not going to be able to hear the people. And so we're standing there for about 20 minutes and they start breaking everybody up into small groups of about 15 or so and much better. Uh, So we take off and we have this girl who has been living there for like 10 years. She's fairly young. She's probably around our age. And uh, she, uh, Starts going through everything and stops. And there are so many old buildings in uh, New Orleans that it like it was a two and a half hour tour, I think, that we were on. And that barely oh, wow. touched anything. Uh, so it was very in-depth on this place she stopped. But it sounds like she has multiple different routes she goes every night, hitting a couple of the main points that you want to hit, you know. Um, she told us a story about... Uh, a lot of like wealthy people have two-story houses at the time. Uh, this has been early 1900s. And there was this one particular instance where uh, a uh, wealthy family goes out to uh, a, th- a play one night, but their daughter was claimed to be sick. And she's like, mm-hmm. I'm not feeling well. I don't want to go out. And the family's like, well, we've been looking for this forward to this play forever, so we're going to go and leave you home. 
and while uh while she they were out her boyfriend comes over and they do some things you know as you're not supposed to do well it, while this like is, what Corey? you know adult things like oh. touching belly buttons uh, like breaking into people's houses and tickle their buttholes <laughs> very similar yeah <laughs> uh, so while this happens the father realizes that he has left the tickets at home and runs back home real quick because it's only a few blocks away and notices that the door was unlocked and he's like I definitely locked that so he goes in grabs his shotgun runs upstairs to see if the daughter's alright and the daughter was fine she's like I'm fine dad don't worry about me <laughs> I'm and, really good Um, so he notices something out of the corner of his eyes on his balcony and it's the boyfriend. So he goes to like mess with him and like scare him so he doesn't come back, but not actually do any harm. Uh huh. Well, on the balconies of these things, the rich people have uh, these spikes on the poles of the balcony. So that way people can't break in and jump oh. down the balcony. Yeah. So the guy had a shotgun pointed at his face, freaking out, decides to jump down the balcony and like grab the pole below that spike. In doing this, he freaks out halfway down and grabs the the pole. And oh, no. from the bottom of the stomach, basically all the way up, gets uh, split in two in a way. And his intestines apparently are hanging out all over the, the sidewalk and the the street basically and he dies obviously shortly later. Um but the reason she told this story is because it's one of the most like unexplained blood drippings on someone's head. Um, wow. So when people walk by this particular uh balcony, they'll get water or whatever they think is water and touch the top of their head, you know, being like, Oh, what's this? And they'll have a red substance on their hand and then they'll look and it's there's nothing leaking or anything, so they can't explain it. Phantom blood. <laughs> so, pretty cool stories. A lot of stories like that. Like I said, there there was a probably about 20 different spots we stopped and talked about. Uh-huh. Um, but the one we stopped at the longest and talked about was the house of Delphine Lollerie. So... If you'd like, I can go into a little bit of detail on her. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Go into it. Are you, either of you familiar with her, the stories and stuff that came out of her house? I mean, I'm I'm familiar with the little bit of whoever it was they were trying to portray in American Horror Story, and then I've read up on her before as far as, like, you know, ghost story books about hauntings in, in uh, Louisiana, and then, of course, you know, Tribal Channel or whatever. They have done documentaries about plantations and everything in uh, Louisiana. So, I mean, a little bit, but... Yeah, I'm about in the same boat as Sean, so... Okay, so, uh, for those of, the, of you who don't know, uh, she was a... Uh, she came from France, I think. Pretty sure she came from France. Yeah. Uh, she uh, She was... In her third marriage to a surgeon. And uh, at the time, surgeons didn't make a whole lot of money. Not like they do today. This would mm-hmm. have been late 1800, or mid-1800, sorry. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, a surgeon at that time cut off limbs, and that was about it, and hoped the patient survived. Right, yeah. So... uh so she was rich, so the money came from her fa- side of the family. 
but they don't. Nobody really knows exactly where. Uh, <laughs> so, move to the French Quarter, and it's kind of right in the middle of the French Quarter. I don't know if you ever get a chance to go to New Orleans, but the French Quarter is where you de- definitely want to go and uh, check it out. And her house is pretty pretty noticeable. Uh, it's obviously still there. Um, currently unoccupied. Uh, I guess. It's the most haunted house in New Orleans, possibly. Oh, wow. Some people say the most haunted house in America. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Um, but the reason it's haunted. Okay, so she was a real wealthy woman, and what you did in that time is you went to parties. And so she went to parties basically every night to the wealthy people around the town and was bored. So she started hosting pe- parties at her own house, and she would have these big extravagant parties. And... You know, at first it was all normal stuff, like every other party. But uh, weird things would happen during the party. Like she would leave for an hour at a time, you know, which was very rude for the host to leave the party. Um, And she'd come back in a different dress, which to have more than one dress to use at a party was a huge luxury. So to have, uh, have more than one dress to go to different parties is a luxury. Um, mm-hmm. So to to have multiple at one party is kind of, I guess, snobbish or like overkill. Yeah, um, it's, it's so, braggadocious. Yeah, exactly. Um, so people started talking how rude she was and like, you know, all this stuff. So they eventually stopped going. Uh, well, she noticed that they stopped going, obviously, because the parties were getting smaller. And she's like, well, I want everybody back here. So uh, she uh, was like, I'm going to throw the biggest party ever. And uh, she's like, I'm going to have the mayor come. I'm going to have all this stuff. And I know it sounds kind of childish, um, but I guess it's just to prove her elite status. So right. she has this huge party that's catered and everything. Um, but she still has, at the time, she had slaves. She has slaves working for her. And uh, one of the slaves in the kitchen uh, caught the house on fire on purpose. And then uh, this, the she wasn't going to be bothered by this fire, so she just told everybody to go outside and we'll party on the lawn while the you know fire department puts out the fire. <laughs> just a bonfire. Yeah. So, uh, the fire department gets there and they find this slave that had started the fire. She was actually chained into the kitchen. So she couldn't leave. So she told the fire department that she put the, started the fire on purpose to save the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were obviously taken back by this and they started putting out the fire, started looking for anybody in the house. They got to the second floor, didn't find anything until uh, I guess luckily a wind had blown like a, a cloth portrait on the wall off to the side a little bit and it revealed a secret room that the the portrait hid and so they the fire department the people the firefighters uh went into the room and just got hit with a stench that caused them to go back like not even be able to enter um presumably you know uh the stench of you know death and decay and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, one thing that our tour guide did that I really appreciated and going around the, the rest of the tour, you could hear other people say stuff. She, she said that she kept her story to what happened to what was in the, the, the newspaper, which really didn't have a whole lot of detail of what was happening. Um, she said that it, she felt it was disrespectful to the people who died in mm-hmm. there to say speculation because mm-hmm. almost everything about that story is speculation. Um, they said that they had only found a handful of slaves, um, which a few of them were in bad ways, but you'll hear stories about like them being gutted and being tied up with their own intestines or stuff like that, which is right. all speculation. So, um, but there was at least six confirmed slaves in that room, uh, that, uh, were in some way tortured. Yeah. Um, Cause they said that she had like portable, um, operating tables. Yeah. See, I'm not even sure about that. So, but okay. I believe it. I mean, it makes sense yeah. because her, her husband is a, you know, surgeon. So, I mean, that was part of the lore I had always heard is that with her husband being the surgeon and her kind of being just a, a free agent to do whatever she wanted because of the luxury and the money she had, she got, um, really into the idea of anatomy and seeing how people worked as well. And it was the idea of like, Oh, well my husband is a surgeon, so I could be a surgeon too. And she would, you know, drug these, uh, these slaves and then they'd wake up on a table being, you know, cut into or an arm amputated or what have you. So. Yeah. And I, you know, it's one of those things is like, I would love to know the story, the, the real story, but at the same time, I don't know that I really do want to know how far she was going. Oh yeah, your mind creates your a, a far more disturbing image than the truth could be, right? So, um, so anyways, back to the actual event itself. So, the they find these these people in in this room, and I I think they save the ones they can, uh, or possibly all of them. I I don't know, um, but obviously word gets out in this party that's going on right now that this is happening. So she, uh, she locks herself in the house and, uh, I believe the police show up and kind of protect her because she's wealthy and has influence in the town at the time. Mm-hmm. But the word starts getting out more and more throughout thing. And like people start rioting and, uh, she eventually is just like, well, I'm out of here and gets in a carriage and runs down the street in the carriage and gets away uh, to not be seen again. And speculation is that uh, she went back to France and hid out in France and kind of just like bounced around when people were getting on, like realizing who she might be. But again, Uh, that's all speculation. There's other things saying that she went and lived in the bayou. uh, But I, for, for myself, I don't see a, wealthy lady just converting to Bayou life. Whose ball <laughs> is the devil? <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know, I always wondered that uh, maybe she did run off to the Bayou and she was just turned on by the idea of the voodoo and became a high voodoo priestess or whatever. You know, they kind of led you to believe in uh, American Horror Story. Yeah, and that, that, that logical jump makes sense, especially when you have an American Horror Story uh, or it makes sense and why American Horror Story would tell the story that way. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, but some notable things about the property that she was on afterwards. Uh, the first person who bought it after she left turned it into, I think it was the first person, so turned it into a furniture store. Hmm. And every night would have uh, excrement rubbed all over his furniture. So, you know, he was like, dang kids or dang vandalizers. <laughs> I'm going to stay up all night and catch these guys in the in the act. Yeah. And uh, he stayed up all night and waited and waited and didn't fall asleep or anything, but like went into another room and like came back a few minutes later, you know, not enough time to, for somebody to break in and rub manure all over furniture. It's that poop again. <laughs> <laughs> How many bad Adam Sandler movies references can we make? <laughs> I'll get them all. Don't you worry. Uh, so anyways, he was obviously freaked out and basically sold the place immediately. Um, and it turned in, uh, turned over hands a lot. Uh, and the, one of the more recent people who owned it, and this is back to the whole him buying a gravestone in New Orleans, is that Nicolas Cage uh, bought this house. Oh. Uh, he bought it for $3 million, roughly $3 million, and then added another floor to the building and uh, put another a couple more million dollars into it. I don't remember how much he put into it total. But uh, uh, he... Stayed there for a while and then started noticing things going on, you know, supernatural stuff. And <laughs> called the tour guide, actually. They claim, I don't know if there's any legitimacy to this, but the lady said that they, he called the tour guide and asked him to, what, to ask what was going on with this house. And they told him to come take a tour with us. And so <laughs> during the tour, he... They got to the part where they got to this house and he said, nope, I'm done. Not living in that house anymore. And just did not live in that house anymore. Really? That's their story. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Uh-huh. So I do know. I mean, that, you'd like to think that that would get back to Nicolas Cage if it wasn't true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe. Um, eventually the the bank foreclosed on this house because of all that stuff that happened in Nicolas Cage in like the mid 2000s. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so he doesn't own it anymore, and the person who owns it doesn't live there and has somebody live there, like an on-staff, like, ma- yeah. maid's probably not the right word, but... Takes caretaker. Care- caretaker, there we go. Um, takes care of the house and has to live there five of the seven days of the week. So. Oh, wow. But... and. That's the kind of place I want to go. Like, I want to get in that house and live there for like a week and see anything happen. Right. Hell yeah. So, the person who lives there now, have they said, is he finding, you know, shit smeared on his stuff too? Well, the guy who owns it doesn't live live there, but the caretaker. Right. Sorry, the caretaker. Has the caretaker, you know, come forward and said anything or? Uh, I think there's something contractual is what the tour guide said that she can't say anything Ah. like specific, but has said that there is actual events that she's had. She's happened. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just want to have a vacation home and don't really want tourists poking around and all that kind of shit too. 
like when uh, the last episode we recorded, we talked about the, um, oh, what was it called? Gladstone Villa over in the UK. Uh, somebody wrote in a story to us about growing up in this haunted house and the third person to own this building after um, the guy who wrote the story and his family, you know, got rid of it is the same way. You know, she doesn't say if weird stuff happens or doesn't. She just doesn't want to be associated with a haunted house. So she just keeps quiet. Uh, no one's allowed in. No one can take a tour, get off my lawn, that kind of crap. So, yeah, it's. I think that if you're wanting a house that you don't want people poking into, though, a super haunted house that everybody knows about is not the house you want to buy. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, there's another place. I'm not going to go into super detail about it because I don't want to take too much more time. But uh, there's, a, there's a hotel that during the Civil War time uh, was reclaimed uh, for um, a uh, military hospital. Ooh. And so there was a lot of surgeries uh, that happened there. And like I said before, surgeries involved limp lopping off limbs and that was pretty much it lots of people died yeah. um and it is uh there's a bunch of like confirmed things that have happened in there as far as like like people waking up to a surgeon like hanging over their foot being like how do you want to be put out alcohol or a hammer oh and, wow and i'm like I want to stay here so bad. And I told Amanda, like, <laughs> next time, if we're coming back to New Orleans, this is the hotel we're staying at. So. That's, yeah, hell yeah, you really should. Something like that kind of happened to me in Eureka Springs. I think I've told the story a few times. I don't know if I told you about it, Corey, but when we stayed, not at the Crescent, but at the um, the Basin, which is like the sister hotel to the uh, Crescent, um, we were taking the tour, a really fun tour, and the guy's like, yeah, up on, you know, floor two or floor four, the fourth or the second floor, whatever, uh, there's supposed to be the ghost of this really kind of uh, promiscuous ghost, and a lot of male uh, guests say they wake up in the middle of the night, and she's standing there by the bed, getting ready to get into bed with them, and the minute they cry out, she screams and runs through the wall, never to be seen again. And so after the tour, I was thinking like, okay, I hope she comes to my room because we're staying on that floor and uh, I'm going to sit here because I asked the guide, I'm like, so, but what happens? Like some, somebody is bound to have not screamed and like, you know, wanted to see how this plays on. And he's like, yeah, everybody just kind of screams and she runs away. So anyway, we go to bed and I have pretty poor eyesight without my glasses or contacts in. And I went to sleep, woke up and off to the side of the bed, there is this woman's form, semi-transparent, in this big, long, flowing gown. And the gown's blowing in the wind, kind of like, you know, Ghostbusters. Uh, and I'm like, oh, holy crap, it's happening, it's happening. So I laid there for what seemed like for fucking ever. And she never got into the bed with me. So finally, after, you know, a few minutes, I'm like, screw this. And so I roll over and grab my glasses, put my glasses on. Oh, no. <laughs> and what I saw actually, um, was the, the street light shining in from the outside window, um, was shining in through the curtains and the air conditioner had blown the curtains open <laughs> and they were wafting. And of course they were tethered at the top and then open at the bottom in a triangle shape. So that projected across the wall, uh, across the bed on the wall. She didn't have any legs because the, uh, the light was blocked by the bed. So it was this floating triangle and I was so pissed off. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I just kind of like uh, threw my glasses on the <laughs> nightstand and went to sleep in a temper tantrum. <laughs> that's, that's a great story. Yeah, but uh, that's funny. 
I was I was gonna say if that was a legit story, I would have heard about that by now. Like, yeah, no, it it, it was not. It started out really awesome, but no, it uh, it was not a uh, horny ghost, unfortunately. Pretty great. Yeah, I I really want to uh, experience some sort of paranormal. I think we've talked about this before, but you know, I I I'm a hopeful believer and. Next time I do research on a place to go for vacation, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if there's any like actual haunted hotels, mm-hmm. and see if if they're not crazy expensive. We're gonna try and stay in one of those. Just yeah, just because I think it'd be neat. Like the problem. Maybe, go ahead. Sorry. And it may maybe you know turn over a new leaf in my book. I'm just too rooted in science to without without knowing something for myself. It, it's hard to believe. We just need to take you ghost hunting, Corey. <laughs> Maybe you should. <laughs> yeah, we could do that sometime. We gotta pop your ghost hunting cherry. I think the only problem with haunted landmarks is that I always worry too much that they're selling you rooms in shitty hotels and then they have a night staff who are banging pots and pans and dragging chains <laughs> down the hallways. <laughs> you know, and that's how they're gonna sell you the rooms, but or it's the opposite end of the spectrum, and you're like me, and you've gone to the Crescent, and you've gone to the Basin, and presto, you went to the Crescent, and yeah, nothing really, nothing notable, truly haunting happened. Yeah, the only thing that happened to me when I was at the Crescent is we had both ordered drinks uh, to take back to the room after the ghost tour, and it got like super late, and uh, we both laid our drinks on the like the nightstand and like went to bed. And then we woke up the next morning and the drinks were like emptied. But, you know, my brother has this habit of like sleepwalking in the middle of the night and he'll like go pop open a bottle of whiskey in his house and just like start drinking whiskey and then go back to bed. So it's not out of the realm of science or, you know, uh, possibilities that I just got up in the middle of the night and polished off those two drinks and then went back <laughs> to sleep. So, right. Yeah, uh, we should take a haunted vacation sometime. Yeah, uh, all of us and and like a little haunted road trip and see what happens. Um, yeah, yeah, it would be fun to do something like that. And I think there's like a two day like I forget where I saw it online, but there's like a route in Kansas that you can take and hit like all the haunted spots in like two days. Yeah, yeah, it's like the haunted Kansas road trip or something like that. Yeah, I've seen a couple different articles about that kind of stuff. At the very least, it would be fun with the company. Yeah, yeah. Worst case, it's still a fun little road trip. So, and we'll drive something that's not your wife's uh, Prius. So I will drive. <laughs> that something thing that can was... go faster than four miles an hour. I mean, dude, the car was cool. It was a fun ride, but like me driving through traffic in that thing was a clincher for all three of us. So <laughs> the uh, the twenty minutes that I drove that thing was more than enough. <laughs> hey, you proved Steve wrong. You drove. That's true. Yeah, he can't say I didn't try. Well, I uh I've got a little bit of story uh a little bit of story. I've got a couple stories here that I think are going to change your mind about haunted uh Louisiana and the paranormal. So, if I if I do this right, you're going to walk away a believer. Okay, let's hear it. Now, there's already a hole that's been poked in my boat because before we recorded, I really thought we were going to talk about Marie Laveau. <laughs> that's that's fair. I mean, I know enough yeah. about her. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, guys, Google it. If you don't know who she is, she's kind of like the uh, 
spiritual twin of uh, the woman you were talking about, whose name I just forgot. But uh, kind of the same woman. Uh, that's not fair to say. Both had the same history. You know, both French, both had lots of money. And then I believe Marie Laveau was a little bit more of a, a, a voodoo priestess or a, a psychic of sorts or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, a spiritualist back then. So this, this woman, Marie Laveau, back in the 1800s, she was known around town to be a bit of a witch and a bit of a, a voodoo doctor and someone you wouldn't trifle with, right? You wouldn't really step to her. But on the same side of that coin, she was also really involved in some pretty shitty stuff. She, too, had slaves. She, too, would torture them. I believe she was the one who would kill slave women and uh, drain their blood in bathtubs and take baths in their bloods to remain immortal. So she, as well, was somebody who was just downright despicable. But with that also comes a lot of respect, and a lot of people think, hey, you're a bit of a doctor yourself, and you can help us. So there's this young couple, and um, the daughter is a little bit underage, and she wants to be with this guy who's from a rival fam family. It's a real Romeo and Juliet situation. And the girl gets knocked up. And somewhere along the way, the families hate each other, the woman's uh, parents are upset, and a curse gets placed on her boyfriend. And the curse is that, you know, blah, 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 the devil's going to take your soul, blah, blah, blah. So they find out early on it's going to be a troubled pregnancy, and so they get Marie Laveau to kind of help guide the pregnancy. And she says some prayers, and she does some spiritual magic, and she's supposed to be helping this young lady along. Well, on a dark and stormy night, the daughter goes to give birth. And, of course, one of the slaves runs in and says, Quick, you know, Miss Laveau, we need your help. you got to help her. She's trying to deliver this baby. She's having a lot of complications. So Laveau goes in to the family's quarters to help deliver this baby. And the father of the baby is really pissed off. I don't want this witch doctor messing with my baby, blah, blah, blah. And so she basically has the slaves and the family escort the husband out and also whispers to him that the curse placed on the baby is actually partly placed on him. So anyway, the woman goes to have the baby, and just like the Jersey Devil story, when the baby's born, it's got really dry, ashy, scaly skin. It's got real long, scraggly hair, kind of like Smeagol. And on the top of its head, it's got two little lumps where horns might be. And of course, the family casts out the baby. They scream, oh my God, it's the devil. It's the devil's baby. We can't raise this thing. Get it out, get it out, get it out. And so Marie looks at it and says, well, if you don't want it, I can take care of it for a small price. So the family pays Laveau some hush money, and she, of course, whisks away this baby in the middle of the night uh, under the, the guise of this thunderstorm. And so she takes it back to her slave quarters, and they start to raise this baby. And as days go by, shortly after bringing the baby into the house, these slaves are turning up missing, or there's really bad accidents where, like, in the morning when Laveau wakes up, someone's broken an arm, someone has gashes across their face like claw marks. All this really weird shit's going on. And all the slaves are saying, it's the baby, it's the baby, that is the devil's baby. You have to get it out of the house. So Laveau, being involved in dark magic like she was, decides that she doesn't want to lose the devil baby, but instead she wants to raise it 
to see what it's going to become, because maybe it might become the devil itself, and she uh, she's very infatuated with the devil and dark magic, so she's not quite ready to give up on this thing. So she decides, if I can just castrate the baby, then the devil will grow up but never reproduce. So we're not going to have a bunch of, you know, little half-devil babies running around the uh, the plantation. So one night, she takes the baby into one of her hidden rooms, and she lays it down on a table, and she castrates the baby. And for those of you listeners who are unfamiliar with that, she cuts off the balls of this devil baby. And when she does, guys... The testicles roll off the table and land on the floor. And the baby starts screaming like a banshee, and the horns sprout from its head, and it's screaming and screaming and screaming, and then she hears the familiar sound of two sets of footsteps running around the floor beneath the operating table. And when Laveau looks down to find out where the testicles rolled off to, two short devil babies were standing under the table. <laughs> One testicle sprouted a demon spawn of a male. One spawned the demon baby of a female. And these creatures would grow on to be called the Grunch. Have you guys ever heard about the Grunch in Louisiana? Nope. Corey, when you were down in Louisiana, did you hear about the Grunch? No, no, I did not. So, so the devil's... Ba- <laughs> it's so hard to say without laughing what I wrote. The devil baby testicle children went on to breed with each other and create a spawn called the Grunch. The Grunch is a short, three-foot-tall creature that looks like a goat had a baby with a werewolf. Huh. It's got brown, leathery skin, long, bony spines that stick out of its spine, its back. It has goat horns that sprout from the head, long talons, glowing red eyes, and a mouthful of gnarly, gnarly teeth. And this, my friends, is what you would call the chupacabra of Louisiana. And so this thing is said to haunt back roads in Louisiana and lures unsuspecting people, like, you know, people making out in the woods, by wandering around with a goat with a broken leg on a leash. It lets the goat wander down the street while it's kind of hiding off in the bushes, And when somebody pulls their car over after a night of making out, they'll get out to help the goat. The grunch will come running out of the bushes and drain both the goat and the unsuspecting victims of their blood. But you might be wondering to yourself, guys, why the hell would the devil baby's balls make devil baby offspring? Why would they get together, have sex, and make a creature called the grunch? Yeah. How do you get that from nut babies? Yeah, who needs a grunch anyway? (laughs) Well, in the early days of New Orleans and Louisiana settling and New Orleans becoming kind of a town, there was a couple areas that were inhabited by dwarves. We'll call them midgets is not fair. We're going to call them dwarves and albinos. And as the town began to kind of flourish and your buildings are going up and your voodoo shops are going up, They decide, we don't want these dwarves and we don't want these albinos just kind of, you know, poking around here. It's going to scare off people who want to start building, you know, homesteads here. So the New Orleans cast out the dwarves and they cast out the albinos to this little part of New Orleans down at the very end of this old gravel road out in the forest. And the albinos start to kind of, you know, make their little village and the dwarves make their little village and they're all really good friends. 
But as we know in history, we don't take kindly to people who look different. And so a lot of the people in New Orleans were known to go out and hunt and torture and kill the dwarves and the albinos. So late one night during a thunderstorm, the dwarves and the albinos make a pact with the devil, sacrifice a couple goats, and beg and plead for a savior to come protect them from the constant barrages of the local townspeople. And so it's said that late that night, the devil baby who gave birth to the testicle twins brought on the grunch. So a question for you. <laughs> yes, go ahead. <laughs> if somebody from the town treats the grunch nicely, do you think his heart will grow three times? Yeah. Do you think that that's how we got the story of the Grinch? Like Dr. Seuss got drunk on like a ghost tour in New Orleans, like Grunch, Grinch, I have a story. Uh, maybe. <laughs> and instead of a Santa Claus sack over its back, it just has a bag full of two giant testicles. <laughs> Ball babies for everybody. Ball baby right. for you. Nut baby for you. <laughs> I did a quick Google search of this. Uh... Of this story and the picture of the baby that I found is quite terrifying. So yeah, supposedly during a lot of the uh, the haunted tours in New Orleans, if you go down the the path, you know, pun intended, of Laveau, then they will tell a tale of the Devil Baby. And some some stories say the Devil Baby grew up to kind of like a Hellboy story, like it grew up into an infant and a small child, then it was sacrificed later. Some say you know it was killed right after the balls got cut off, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting tale nonetheless. Okay, so quickly, and I'll kind of give you the spark notes on this one because we're encroaching about an hour's time here. Um, Corey, while you were there, there's something else that lurks in the woods besides the grunch. Did they talk to you about the Rouge? Rouge, I can't say that they did. Or the Rougarou, or like, what'd you just say, Preston? The Lougarou? The Lularou. So... There, everywhere you go, there is a type of Bigfoot that is supposed to, you know, kind of um, prowl around the woods and whatnot in the Himalayas and all that kind of stuff. Everybody has their Bigfoot. Well, in Louisiana, there's also a creature called the Rougarou, which is the most common term for it. also what Preston said is true, too, that's said to prowl around at night and kill off unsuspecting victims. And this beast is said to look like the combination of a werewolf, a great... Oh, God, what's the, what kind of dog was Beethoven? St. Bernard. Saint, thank you. A werewolf and a St. Bernard had a baby. Somewhere along the lines, a goat jumped in there. And this thing said to be 10 foot tall with the body of a werewolf, the head of a St. Bernard, and the horns of a goat. Damn. And it's said to prowl around the swampy marshes of Louisiana, picking off unsuspecting victims. And what's kind of cool about this thing is it's almost similar to the Wendigo lore of the Native Americans. And this thing has gone back way before Louisiana was ever established. It actually goes back into Native American lore. This creature is said to you know, wander around the forest and then attack unsuspecting humans. It doesn't actually drain their blood like the grunch or the chupacabra. It just bites them one more time. Biting the unsuspecting victim then passes the curse along and allows the biter or the current uh, Rougarou to then forego the curse. After the first bite, 
your body is said to swell up kind of like the Incredible Hulk, but not huge. You're about you're said to about double your size, become very muscular, but you develop a hunger that can never be filled. So as you're eating all the food in your house and all the vegetables in your garden and everything else, you just can't quite ever feel full. So you then go out prowling around, you know, after midnight. And when you finally lose your humanity, when you finally bite a human, the first taste of human blood will then cause the hair to sprout from your back, your head to swell like the size of a melon, and two giant devil horns to sprout from your skull, thus turning you into the Rougarou. And then you prowl around, killing livestock, pigs, chickens, goats, cows even, until you yourself can find another human who bites you. I'm sorry, who bites you? (laughs) Another human to bite to pass the curse along to. But the actual curse itself is very unique in the way of if you get bit by the Rougarou and you don't tell anybody about it for one year, I'm sorry, for 101 days, on the 101st day, you will then be cured of the curse, as will the current Rougarou. But if you happen to get bit by one and talk about it, then of course you have to spiral down the staircase and become the Rougarou yourself. There's no way to stop it other than that? I don't know. There's an interesting story that I've read, and this is the most common kind of fairy tale folklore of the Rougarou. So it's said that um, early in the 19th century, 1800s or so, um, a couple gets married, and the husband has to go work overnights somewhere, I don't know, out in the field or wherever the hell you work that long ago, but he works overnight. So every night he has to leave and go to work. And he tells his wife, honey, I'll be home at the crack of dawn. Make sure tonight, don't go outside, don't leave the house, lock the doors, and whatever you do, don't go out in the moonlight. So after being married for a couple years, the woman finally gets tired of every night having to see her husband go to work and every night spending every evening alone. So one night she goes out and waits by the tree line of the woods where her husband is said to come home. And the husband walks, I'm sorry, as the wife is walking down the property line, she hears a rustle in the trees. And this creature sprouts from behind her. It's eight feet tall with a giant woven head, horns like a goat, and a big hairy body. It doesn't bite her, but when it lunges for her, it does scratch her across the face. She stumbles on the ground, gets up, runs back into the house. And of course, she waits there all night. And of course, the next morning, the husband walks in. He's like, oh my God, what happened? And she said, oh, I got attacked by this monster. But she was too afraid to tell the husband what the monster was. And then as days go by, she begins to find out that she feels like her body's getting bigger. Her dresses don't fit. Her shoes don't fit. And she hides this from her husband. And every night when he goes to work, as soon as he walks out the front door, she escapes out the back door and she forages around the forest looking for rabbits to eat and squirrels to eat. And she eats the neighbor's chickens. And she survives eating livestock and the wildlife And then she learns that they have a shed with a padlock off to the back of the property she never knew about. So every night after she eats, she chains herself inside this this little uh, shed. And finally, after about 101 days, she wakes up one morning and uh, she realizes she's no longer no longer swollen. She's no longer big. She no longer has the hunger for, you know, live animals, fresh meat. 
and her husband is laying in bed next to her. And she's startled because she's like, holy crap, you're supposed to be at work. What happened? And the husband sits up and he runs his fingers through her hair and he says, you know, honey, this whole time I've been suffering from a terrible curse. And I have been, you know, I haven't been working overnights. I've actually been in the forest, you know, killing livestock, killing cows, killing chickens, killing pigs. And I suffered a terrible curse. And that night you waited for me to come home. It was actually me who attacked you. And because you never told me about what attacked you, you never said the actual creature's name. After 101 days, we're both cured from the curse and we no longer suffer from the Rougarou curse. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, but it definitely uh, <laughs> gives you some more folklore. So I actually uh, came across a story when I was first looking this up, and I, I think that the difference in the pronunciation has to do with you have more of a French pronunciation, and then you have like the mm -hmm. muddled Cajun uh, pronunciation. And um, the story that I came across is a guy was actually going out to investigate like whether or not this shit was real, and he found some... Um, alligator hunters or like some shrimp boat captains that said, yeah, we actually know uh, wh where the beast lives. Like there's a little island. And so one of the shrimp boat captains took him out there. And by the time they got out there, it was like mid afternoon. So he's like, you know, they docked the boat and he's kind of walking around and, you know, he sees like some animal dens, like some burrows underneath the ground and as the sun starts to go down, he can hear the guy yelling at him, like, get the fuck back to the boat. Hang on a second. That might have been your very best accent you ever faked on the show. Yeah. I just want to go on the record. <laughs> that's, that one actually sounded like what you're trying to make it sound yeah, like. Yeah, that's, that's a very good Cajun <laughs> accent, you know? And so It's not your normal, like, I tell you what. I tell you what, motherfucker, <laughs> you better get your ass back to that boat. And uh, so, you know, he's hauling back to the boat. And he notices that as the sun's going down, all the other boats in the area, like the alligator hunters, whatever, they're fucking hauling ass out of there. And this guy's like screaming, like, you know, get to the boat, get to the boat. And so he finally gets on the boat and they like haul ass. And as he's looking back, he can actually see a, like, you know, 20 sets of red eyes come out of the, the brush around this island in the Luraru. Uh, or heading toward the shore, like growling at him, and he's like, "Oh my god! Like these people weren't fucking playing around. This shit is for real." Uh huh. Uh huh. That's uh, that's similar to what I was reading about as well. Um, to to put an umbrella over your question, Corey, the way you can become a rougarou or a uh, lugarou is to be bitten by somebody already infected, scratched by somebody already infected. Or you have the curse cast upon you by a witch who is the creature herself as well. So it's not really a case of just one person can become a Rougarou, but instead you can have, you know, clans, you can have, you know, hordes of these things uh, dependent on basically the conditions. Hmm. The way to cure yourself of this curse is, like I said before, you have to bite somebody else for them to become the Rougarou, and then the curse transfers on to them. You have to attack somebody, them not tell anybody for 101 days what happened, and then you both be curse, uh, cured of the curse, or you have to be decapitated. So let me get this straight. If I bite a motherfucker... And then I, like, duct tape his mouth shut and, like, throw him in a locked room for 100 days. Do you think that qualifies? 
No, because it has to be thrown in there for 101 days. <laughs> yeah, whatever, 100, 101. <laughs> you think so? With your luck, you'd let him go, and then he'd run and tell the cops, and he'd be like, "This motherfucker just had me kidnapped <laughs> and thrown in a shed for 100 days." Uh, and the next day, he comes to your cell and flips you the bird and walks away scot free. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing about a rougarou, this is one of those kind of were creature, Sasquatch creatures that doesn't just come across as an actual werewolf. You can have Rougarous who are werewolves. You can have them who are dog people. You can have them who are were-goats. You can have them were-owls and also were-rabbits. So all these creatures are said to be the cross between a werewolf, another animal, and then the uh, the token um, key feature is they have horns no matter what animal they come across as. So you might be a giant werewolf body with a you know hoot owl's head and then you know goat horns. Neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, there you go. There's my two cents worth. There you uh, go. If you Google Lurelu and spell it entirely wrong. You get a clothing company. Oh. You get Lularo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish I would have put that in there. And that's how tights were made. Yeah. <laughs> Werewolves in style. Yeah. Lularo. Lularo. Well, I think that about does it, guys. Yeah. Um, Corey, do you have anything you want to plug, man? Is there any? Uh, are there any shows you're watching or any uh, podcasts you're listening to? Lately, uh, man, you should have given me a minute to think about this. Uh, nope, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay, so you really enjoyed Umbrella Academy. We talked about that. Yes, yes, you should definitely uh, watch that if you haven't read it or watched it. Uh, I did I tell you that I went back and read the first volume? Yeah, yeah, I think that might be one of the first. I'm probably gonna get murdered for saying this, but it the source material was worse than the. This TV show. Okay. Because everybody in that comic is like a comic book character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the show like gives them a reason to do the things they do where the comic book is just like, okay, now this happens. Ah, gotcha. Hey, that's cool. It's refreshing that for once the source material, uh, the mo- the movie's better than the book. <laughs> oh, yeah, Preston, what are you uh, what are you watching? Anything good lately? Uh, you know, I started watching um, from Dust Till Dawn the the series, a TV series on mm-hmm. Netflix, and uh, it's not bad. So it's, uh, it's got me uh, slightly entertained. Oh yeah. Something oh, you'd recommend? Yeah, I'd say give it a whirl. So it's pretty good. It has to deal. With uh, Mexican vampires, which are more snake-like people than bats, so that uh, kind of folklore that they tied into the television series is uh, pretty neat. So, hmm. hell yeah, the whole thing's on Netflix. Huh? Yeah, whole things, all three seasons on Netflix. Sweet, sweet action. Well, we just started watching the first episode of season three of True Detective tonight, and I think it's going to pan out to be pretty solid as well. Hmm. Did you guys ever watch the first season or first two seasons of that show? Nope. Heard nothing but good things, but never watched it. Yeah, season one with McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson is pretty pretty great. One of my favorite things I've ever watched. Season two is okay, but it was kind of forced because the writer didn't want to do a second season, but they kind of made him. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there you go. Cool, man. I, uh, any I podcast start... you want to plug? Oh, go ahead. 
I did start reading another comic book series that's interesting. It's not a uh, lock and key or saga quality, but it is pretty good. Uh, it's called uh, Skyward. It's huh. uh, in a universe where one day gravity just stops working, <laughs> and uh, everybody it it takes place like eighteen years after the event, and like a baby that was well a baby uh, is like eighteen ish now, and mm-hmm. dealing with the world as as a zero g place, and it's pretty neat. So. Huh. Now, does a baby's balls get cut off, and it makes this fucking thing that? <laughs> Well, that's why gravity stopped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the balls got cut off. <laughs> oh, oh me! Hell yeah! Uh, any podcast you want to plug, man? Uh, man, I haven't had time to listen to podcasts really, unfortunately. Oh yeah. Well, when you do, you should check out uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. If you're a Conan fan, if you're not, don't. I I enjoy Conan. What's what's special about this one? Um, I think his show, if I understand right, his show is finally, unfortunately, winding down to an end. And uh, he's eventually going to be off the air, I think, at the end of this season or something. Yeah, kind of sad. But he's going on to do a podcast. And basically the podcast um, premise that I understand is that over all these you know decades as a talk show host, he has met a lot of people. And the thing is, you get a chance to interview somebody for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, and that's all you get. And so this show is like an hour long and the majority of it is just a conversation, um, unedited with one individual person. And some of them are people he is friends with. Some of them are just people that he's worked with. Um, some are just random people, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun because the conversation can be very serious or it can just be the two of them just riffing off each other. And, uh, it's really great. It's really charming because his, uh, his personal assistant and the producer are both there in the uh, the room as well, kind of chiming in too. So it's it's a lot of fun. That's cool. If nothing else, listen to the episode with uh, Jeff Goldblum. It's a lot of fun. That man can do no wrong. Yeah, yeah right. Um, he also interviews an episode with um, oh the dude who plays the grumpy guy on Parks and Rec. Oh jeez. I'm mad that I don't know his name. Yeah, and his wife as well. Hang on. Nick uh, Nick uh, Hoffer. Offerman. Nick Offerman. Yeah. yeah, Nick Offerman and... Okay, yeah, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullaney. Or Malali? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> the two of them who are married in real life, they have an episode, and it's just as funny and charming as you may imagine, but... Yeah, it's cool, man. They just go through there. There's an episode of Tim Oliphant that's really fucking hilarious, too. But, yeah, check it out if you guys want to. It's a lot of fun. What's that? Call him Tim. Timothy? I've always heard Timothy. Huh. Well, I mean, I call him Tim. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) He's never complained. Okay. (laughs) Hey, speaking of, um, I don't know if you guys are into Santa Clarita Diet, but that's coming back, I think, uh, this Friday. This Friday the 29th, I think. So that'll be a lot of fun too. Hell yeah. All right. Well, Preston, you want to plug any podcast, buddy? Uh, I'm not going to like plug any podcast, but I got a couple shout outs. So first shout out to a new listener to the show. Thanks, Matt Welsh, for listening and, you know, telling me how much you enjoyed listening and all the crazy crap that we talk about. 
And uh, to Worshipful Master John Gracie, who commented on our last Facebook uh, post on the episode 88 is Alive, he had uh, commented that he was listening now and that it was bat, uh, that bat is pretty crazy. Pretty bat ass, if you ask me, but no way is the Jersey Devil. Everyone knows it was swamp gas and a great <laughs> horned owl. So you, sir, are correct. I agree with you 100% on that. So thank you for commenting and listening as always. And listen, folks, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to have the most amazing nut baby beard that you could grow, <laughs> check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com. And Sean's going to hit you with a promo code. And then I got one last thing to say. Okay, awesome. Use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your entire order. And if you're in the Omaha area, check us out. Join us, if you will, on April 13th. It's a Saturday. We're going to be at the Rock Your Beard Off Beard and Mustache Competition up there with the Omaha Facial Hair Society, with Big Dobbs, with, I think, Gunslinger Soap. And uh, so many other awesome people where I get a chance to meet a lot of uh, listeners and friends we've made over the years um, with a lot of folks up there. So it's going to be a great time. Come up there, check it out. Um, we also have a top secret uh, haunted location that we're going to have a private investigation at. So more on that to come. Whoopity whoop. Yeah. Okay. What else you got, Presto? And as always, if uh, you are a tuber. Join. Did you say YouTube? YouTuber. <laughs> Jump on over and check out the Pixelated Paranormal channel and join the Richard Jerome Tinfoil Hat and Ponytail Society and go down that rabbit hole <laughs> together. Okay. Oh, outstanding. Yeah, check us out. Spread the word, guys. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Google uh, Play. Is that a thing, Corey? Yeah, it's a thing, but I don't know if you're on it. Uh, we should be. Yeah. Um, anywhere great uh, podcasts are sold for free and uh, YouTube. And also, um, we'll talk a little more about this next time Stephen's on. But uh, Stephen and I, da, ugh, fuck, if I could talk. Stephen and I and our, uh, our my wife and his girlfriend, we went last weekend and saw My Favorite Murder live in Kansas City, Missouri. And it was uh, every bit as fun as we'd hoped it would be. And I got a chance to meet... Corey, is it safe to say your bestest friend? Uh, yeah, I would say that's a pretty accurate best best friend from high school. Because I mean, we met since then, and I, you know, <laughs> you know, took I'm not over. Brag. <laughs> yeah. hey, I don't remember what no. show I saw it on, but I think uh, best friend is like a tier. It's not actually a person. So. I, I like to say one of my best friends, and then if it's a best friend from high school, I always, or you know, one of your longest friends, I say best friend from high school. Well, he's from elementary school, so. Well, fuck me. He's got me then. <laughs> it's a, what, what's a B, BFF, best friend forever. There you go. Yeah, I get to meet Jordan. Uh, that was really awesome. Uh, we've played video games many times together and had several late night chats and uh, made countless jokes. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great dude. And it was just for uh, you know a few short minutes we got to hang out. But uh, I would like to say, um, with with zero offense given, Everything was worth it that evening just to have the confusion of your wife, Corey. Uh, <laughs> that momentary confusion of how in the world did those two worlds collide and Sean and Jordan were in the same room and you two were not there. <laughs> oh, man. It was – she uh, talked to me like the next day and she's like, 
how the hell did they meet up together? And I'm like, I don't know. They just kind of got together. Secret <laughs> romance. I mean, I explain. I eventually explained the whole podcast that you guys listened to and everything. Yeah, was- yeah, yeah. Oh, it was wonderful. And the great thing is, too, Jordan is just as um, I would say mischievous, cheeky as I am. So, like, every time she'd ask a question, he would just reply back. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I just I figured that uh, someone's going to give up the ghost there eventually, but nope, no one ever did on the uh, on the Facebook post. So that was fun. Yeah. I I the only thing that bummed me out about that night was that I couldn't be there. Yeah, um, had we had more time, um, we would have definitely tried to arrange it. But it was for us at least. It was just a down and back trip mm-hmm. uh, for the show. But there'll be another time. Yeah, I'm glad it happened. Uh, I'm I am trying. This is unrelated to the podcast, but I'm trying to get him to join us in October or November or whenever the extra live stream is. Yeah, I mentioned it to him actually uh, that night. Yep, because my house is already going to be filled with like 30 people, it seems like. People just keep getting invited. Yeah. Guys, if you're in the Topeka, Kansas area, just (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. I think right now it's you two, Steve, Rob. I think Brady's coming and possibly Jordan as yeah. of right now. Fuck Steve. <laughs> Fuck Steve. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, hopefully we can do bigger and better than we did before, which I think last year, of course, is bigger than the year before that. So, I'm trying to trying real hard to pull some strings to get some special special guests, some real special guests. Oh, very nice. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say anything because if it falls through, then you know. Right. I know you said that Rowan Atkinson of uh, the actor who plays Mr. Bean is probably going to be there, so that'll be cool. Yeah, I'm trying to get him and uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Tim Tim Ophelian. Yeah, he says he might show up. Tim Tim Oliphant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some dude named Tim Ophelian is going to be there, so that'll be great. But uh, yeah, we digress. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be a good time. All right, check out. Uh, Check out our sister podcast, Pixelated Sausage, with Mark. And check out his Attack of the Backlog on YouTube, where he plays a bunch of classic games. And check out my favorite NASCAR podcast ever. I've never listened to it, but it is probably my most favorite ever. What's it called, Preston? It's not a NASCAR podcast. Sports Cars Unleashed. What do you mean it's not a it's not a NASCAR podcast? Sports Cars. It's not NASCAR. Well, it's I mean, different things. like I said, I never listened to it. Okay. <laughs> but by God, I love it. Hell yeah. All right. Anything else to add, guys? Uh, also, check out uh, our friends over in Colorado, Fear and Fame. They're a heck of a lot of fun as well. A lot of true crime and other mysteries there. No, I think we've poked this bear enough tonight. Let's get that out yeah, of here. Yeah. I think we've we've poked this Rougarou in the balls enough. <laughs> cool. Corey, thanks for jumping on, buddy. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Corndog. Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm glad you invited me to do it again. So. Yeah, dude. And you know what? I'll remember it this time, next time. Yeah. <laughs> this is number three. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad you came on, man. And I was uh, I was kind of worried we we're only going to be able to chat for about half an hour because it would run dry. But uh, well, shit. If this is his third time, like the trilogy's over with. <laughs> oh yeah. Now it's all about the remakes. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, let's get out of here, guys, and we'll catch you all next time around. Peace. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, 
tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.